Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, Today we are continuing a series that we started a few weeks ago called This Is Us. And uh, there's a show on NBC called This Is Us. It's about this family, all their ups and downs in life and the culture that they have, what they love. Because the truth is every family, whether you state it or not, has a culture in their home. So your family has a culture, and you might not state it, you might not even think about it, but culture happens even if it happens accidentally. So if you're not intentional about it, there are things that are happening in your home, there's things you value, uh, even if you don't talk about it. And the same is true in our church. I believe that we are a big family, and uh, we're not the, the best family. We have our struggles and our issues at times, and, and uh, we've got a lot of diversity, so not everybody agrees all the time, just like in your family, but hopefully we love each other through that and work through it. And there is a, a culture in our church that we work toward, that we fight for, to make sure we stay a healthy family. And we talked a few weeks ago about our vision and our core values, and we, last week we talked a little about one of our peripheral values. It's not a core value, but something we care about. And last week we talked about um, authenticity. What does it mean to be authentic? What does it mean to be real? Uh, week one, we talked through, our, like I said, our four core values and our vision statement. And today we're going to talk about a value. And um, can, can, can we just have an agreement that, that you're going to give me a chance to talk through this a little bit before you pass judgment on me? Is that okay? <laughs> Some of you are nervous right now, aren't you? <laughs> Okay, do you agree? Okay, thank you. Like four people over here. The rest of you are like, nah, we're going to lynch you. Um, So the the value I'm going to talk to you about today a little bit is the value of fun. You're like, that doesn't sound very spiritual. And in some ways it's not, but in truth it really is. Because sometimes when we think about church, we don't think about fun. We think about Jesus being somber and stoic, and he probably never smiled and... He definitely never joked, right? That's how we imagine Jesus, this solemn-faced, and that's how he is. But I believe that Jesus was probably funny. I believe that Jesus was definitely fun to be around, because if he wasn't, who in the world would have wanted to hang out with him? But he, get, he got people literally to lay down their lives to follow him, and if he was not who he said he was, number one, and if he wasn't good to be around, do you think they would have given up three years of their lives to follow him? Probably not. So I think Jesus was probably enjoyable to be around, because I don't know about you, I don't hang around with people if they're not fun to be around. I don't pick people and go, you know what, who's the biggest work? That person is going to suck the life out of me. Let's go with them, right? (laughs) No. We want to be around people we enjoy being around. And the same is true here in church. I believe that it should be good for us to have fun in church. I believe, and I've said this almost from the very beginning when we came here in 2014, that if we create an environment where kids can have fun in church and learn about God and connect with God, then they'll become teenagers who have fun in church, and hopefully they'll become adults who have fun in church. Because if we're going to be honest, there's nothing more fun than experiencing a living God. That is fun. It's fun to see God work in people's lives. It's fun to see marriages restored. It's fun to see lives change drastically. That is exciting and that is fun. To me, that is the definition of fun. So church should be fun. And I don't mean every week is going to be you walking out just laughing hysterically because, oh, it's so good. It's so fun. 
Because some weeks, if we're going to be honest, the Holy Spirit's going to start messing with you a little bit, and it's going to be painful, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt some, and you're going to walk out, and you're going to go, oh, that, that, oh, gosh, whew, that hurt. That was, God was dealing with some areas of my life that I'm a little uncomfortable with him dealing with. And it might not be fun, but it's still good. So what I want to talk about just a little bit today is the fact that I think we should be having fun as believers and in church. Um, Proverbs 17, 22 says, A joyful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bone. There's just something about being able to laugh together. And in fact, sociologists have said that we are more likely to receive new ideas easier when we laugh. And I don't do this intentionally, but um, I love bringing levity to difficult topics because when we do that it just makes it easier to navigate some of the challenging topics that we talk through here in church so when we can laugh about things and have fun it makes us number one um, it makes it easier to walk through that but number two it makes it easier for us to receive new ideas that might be challenging to our thinking i want to read a couple statements to you because i want to make sure i I get them right Um, and so i just want to make these statements to you today Preaching is not entertainment, and church is not a show, but irrelevance does not make us more spiritual. So if you came to church and you don't understand anything I'm talking about, that's not more spiritual than what we do here. I want you to walk out with an understanding of what the Word of God has to say for your life, and if we can do that in a fun way where maybe you'll remember it a little better, all the better. (laughs) We have... Uh, I'm not going to pick on churches, uh, but there are people from time to time that come from other churches, and maybe you came from another church, and typically I want you to go back to your church. There was one family that came a couple years ago to our church, and we were talking, and they were saying, well, our church is just dry, and we don't get a lot out of it. And again, it's the body of Christ that they're talking about, so it's not us and them. So I was trying to divert them back, and well, but it's really good, and you need to be back in your church. And they said, well, we just don't understand the message. And, and we understand your message. And I said, well, that's great, but maybe you go talk to your pastor about it. And, and then finally they said, no, 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 we go to Latin mass at our church. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, stop that. Just come here. Just come here then. <laughs> but they literally didn't understand anything that was going on because it was in Latin. But if we're going to be honest, many times people attend church and they do it out of religious spirit and they're not getting anything out of it. And they go, well, this is what church is supposed to be. And then when people see our church, they go, wait a second, something's wrong because there's way too much laughter. You're having way too much fun. And that's not the way church is supposed to look. And there is no prerequisite on church was supposed to look like in Scripture other than a a community of believers that love each other well. (laughs) Let me continue with my statement. I got sidetracked. Boring does not equate to holiness. And complicated does not make us deep. Creativity, life, and laughter do not threaten the Spirit of God in any way. Uh, our church has been accused a couple of times, just once or twice, of being, uh, uh, they're just a rock concert. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest with you, you might be here and you might not even like our style of worship, and that's okay. Um, and I'm grateful for those that are here in spite of your preferences, but I want you to know something. Uh, in Scripture, there is not a preset idea or mandate of what worship should be other than us connecting with our Heavenly Father. So as far as what musical instruments we use or don't use, or the volume we use or don't use, um, all of that is, 
about style and preference more than anything else. And let me take this a step further. This, the instruments we see prescribed for worship in Scripture, they did not begin as worship instruments. They began many times as instruments for worship in cults or pagan or false god worship. So what, what they did was they took instruments that were originally intended for one purpose and repurposed them for another reason. So what happens is sometimes we walk in and go, man, that electric guitar is loud. That must not be very spiritual. But it is. Because we've taken something that maybe wasn't intended for worship and we've repurposed it for the glory of God. So you can't tell me that we don't worship. We worship. And we can have fun doing it. Now, there's nothing wrong with pipe organs. There's nothing wrong with acapella worship. All those things are great, but there's nothing wrong with the way we worship either. And it can be fun, and we can still worship God together. Dale Carnegie said this, people rarely succeed unless they have fun in what they are doing. I would say this is even true in our spiritual life. If coming to church, if worshiping God is, um, is a drudgery, if it's a chore, if it's something you have to make yourself do, then, then something's not right. And you will definitely not grow in your faith if it is a beating to make yourself spend time with God or come to church. And so I, I want to encourage you today, we can have fun in this. We can enjoy ourselves. We can see God work in really cool ways and enjoy it all in the same time. Proverbs 15, 15 says this, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. I like feasts. Look at me, right? My dream is all-you-can-eat uh, day at Meadows. That's, that's my dream. <laughs> I would put that place out of business. <laughs> now, this isn't talking literally. It doesn't say all the days the afflicted are evil literally, and the cheerful of heart have a continual feast all the time. That's not what it's talking about. Um, but let me read it for, to you from the message version because it makes it a little plainer. It says, a miserable heart means a miserable life. A cheerful heart fills the day with song. So what this passage is saying is the condition or the position of our heart dictates our outlook on life. So if, if my heart is, is, is evil or miserable, then all, every day is a bad day. If my heart is positioned well before God, then every day is a feast. Can I say it that way? If you're having a cookout and you're inviting all your friends over, oh, there's all food, you don't bring a thing, I'm, I've got everything for you. And you show up and you eat and you can spend time. This is what it's talking about. Every day can be that if your heart is right before God, if we choose it. Because this is the thing, you have the power to choose your outlook on life. You have the power to decide what your day will be. I've told my girls before, you can't, uh, you can't change how people treat you, but you can affect, you can dictate how you respond to that. You can't decide what, um, what circumstances come your way in this world. You don't get to choose when you get laid off. You don't get to choose um, when, when things happen, when sickness comes your way. You don't get to choose that. We get to choose how we respond to that, though. Yeah. And that makes all the difference in the world. Um, we got two girls. When they were younger, we used to read A.A. Um, a. Milne is an author of uh, children's stories, uh, Winnie the Pooh. And uh, the, the cartoon, if you've got kids, you've seen it. There were two characters on Winnie the Pooh, diametrically opposed, right? On one end, you got Tigger, right? 
the wonderful thing about tiggers. Tiggers are wonderful things. Tops are made out of rubber, the bottoms are made out of springs. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, okay? <laughs> Some of you are getting your cameras ready. You were gonna put it on social media, it's not gonna happen. You got Tigger on one end, everything is great, right? Everything is good all the time. Um, he's asked to do anything. Tigger, we're gonna go fly kites. That's wonderful. That's what Tiggers are best at, right? Only thing he can't do is not bounce because he bounces all the time. Everything is good. Everything is exciting. He's enthusiastic about everything. And let's be honest, we know people like that, and sometimes they're a little bit exhausting, <laughs> right? I'm not Tigger, okay? But that's one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, we got Eeyore. Oh, Eeyore, poor guy. Everything's bad all the time, no matter what. Let me, let me read this to you. I'm going to read you an excerpt from Winnie the Pooh today. Is that okay? It doesn't matter if it's okay or not. I've got the mic and I'm going to do it. Eeyore and Al are having this conversation because Christopher Robin is having a party. And Al says to Eeyore, Eeyore, Christopher Robin is giving a party. Very interesting, said Eeyore. I suppose they will be sending me down the odd bits which get trodden on, kind and thoughtful, not at all, don't mention it. And what he's saying is, I'm not going to get invited to the party, but they're going to clean up, the sweep up all the stuff, all the food that falls on the floor, and that's what they will send me. <laughs> There's an invitation for you. What's that like? An invitation? Yes, I heard you. Who dropped it? This isn't something to eat. It's asking you to the party tomorrow. Eeyore shook his head slowly. You mean Piglet, the little fellow with excited ears. That's Piglet, I'll tell him. No, no, said Al, getting quite fussy. It's you. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. Christopher Robin said all of them. Tell all of them. All of them except Eeyore? All of them, said Al sulkily. Ah, said Eeyore, a mistake, no doubt. But still, I shall come. Only don't blame me when it rains. There's another interaction between Pooh and Eeyore where Pooh says, good day, Eeyore, and he says, good day, Pooh, if it is in fact a good day. And the truth is we all know an Eeyore too, don't we? We all know somebody that even if they get invited to the party, it's probably an accident that they got invited to the party. And if they show up, they're probably going to ruin the party, right? That's their attitude on life. And, and the thing is, we will, we will dismiss these things and go, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I'm wired. But that is a choice we make every single day. How am I going to approach life? Am I going to approach life full of life and full of joy, full of fun, making it exciting for the glory of God? Or am I going to be a victim today? That is the choice we get to make every single day. And some of you say you're just wired that way. That's just the way you are. But that is not the way God intended you to be. I don't think you have to be a one in Tigger, but I don't think God desires for you to be Eeyore either. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the writer of Ecclesiastes was uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and he is, he's pondering God, and he's walking through the knowledge of God, and he gets to this point where he basically says, I don't understand God, I can't understand God, and instead of saying, God won't even let me understand him, and he, he being upset about what we don't have, 
He celebrates what he does have. He says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to him. Now, I want to stop there because it's not saying life is pointless, just be a glutton. Eat and drink and do whatever you want. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is there's so much in this world we don't have and don't know that we can be upset about that or we can celebrate what we do have. So he's saying we can be upset about the job we don't have or we can say, God, thank you for the job I do have. We can be upset about the house we don't have or we can say, God, thank you for the house I do have. That is a world of difference in how we approach things. It is a world of difference in the position of our heart as we walk through that. We get to choose. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, I want to read this to you. Paul's writing to the Roman church, and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of glory. Now, when we read this passage, what we have to understand is God is working in three ways through this passage. He's working, number one, through our past. Now, a lot of times when we talk about our past, some of us get nervous and we go, but Mel, I've got a, I've got a rough past. And a lot of us do. Let's be honest. Uh, before we came to knowledge of Christ, a lot of us did things we were embarrassed of or ashamed of. We hope nobody finds out about, Right? If we're going to be honest, if we didn't, then why would we need a Savior? We all needed it, right? So before Christ, we all did stupid stuff. We all did things we'd be embarrassed of. But I'm grateful that, that we can have peace with God. How do we have peace with God? Because we've been justified by faith. What does that mean? It means when, when we surrender our lives to Christ, God no longer sees our righteousness, which is nothing, which is, Paul says, filthy rags. What he sees is the righteousness of Christ. So what he sees when he sees us is his son or his daughter. He loves us that way, okay? So we, because of that, can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing about that is that God no longer holds our past against us. I was kind of hoping you'd be more excited about that part. I'm grateful that God no longer holds my past against me. <laughs> but I'm a child of God today, right? Okay, that was just pity applause, so don't do that. <laughs> He's making us clap, so let's clap. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 4, Paul again is writing to the Roman church, uh, and, and he quotes Psalm 31, or 32, 1 and 2, and he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, this is the thing about God. God, he's not forgetful, but he's willingly forgetting your sin. He will erase it from his memory. <laughs> See, um, a lot of you are in marriages that you will forgive, but it's, it's hard to forget, isn't it? You, you remember stuff. When, when tempers start to flare a little bit and you get in a little bit of an argument, it's easy to want to go back to that, well, you, right? God never does that. He loves us so much, he willingly deletes that from his memory. Amen. Praise God. To him, I am brand new. This was originally 
the psalmist, David, who was writing this and said, hey, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven because he knew that his lawless deeds were forgiven. He, he understood where he was and where he had come from. Uh, I want to read this to you from Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8 from the New Living Translation. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. This is who our God is. This is what he's done. He's rich in kindness and grace toward us. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about David and Goliath in the Valley of Allah. This was in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Um, if you fast forward his story to 2 Samuel chapter 12, David is, um, well, he's, he's king of Israel, and he had um, sent, sent his army out to war, and he had stayed behind in the city, and he was up on the roof, and he was minding his own business, and he sees a woman bathing on the rooftop near him, and he covets her. He wants her for himself. And he takes her for himself, and he gets her pregnant, and uh, to cover up his sin, he has her husband killed. He's out fighting on the front line. He has him killed, and he comes in and marries her, so he looks like the hero. So not only did he have this man killed, he lied about it, he covered it up, he committed adultery, all these things, and he thought, ah, I got away with it. No one's ever going to know. But the prophet knew because God told him. So the prophet Nathan goes to David, and he says, hey, David, let me tell you this story. There was this man who had lots of sheep, and there was this man who had one little ewe lamb, and it was his favorite ewe lamb, and he only had one, though. And the man with all the sheep went and took forcefully the ewe lamb from this man who had only the one, and he sacrificed it. He took it for himself. What do you think about that? And David said, that man should be killed. String him up, right? He was, he was angry. And Nathan says, you are that man. Let me tell you about what God told me. And David repented in that moment. And in his repentant heart, he wrote uh, Psalm chapter 51, this, this song of repentance. And this song of repentance has been quoted by many famous people who have been shamed publicly for something stupid that they have done. But there is a past part of it in Psalm 51, uh, 12 that says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And what David is saying in this moment is, I got sideways and I did some stupid things and it was because I forgot the joy of my salvation. I lost my joy and as I got distance from that memory and from that idea of who God is and what he can do in our lives, it led me down a path that I shouldn't have gone down. It led me to kill. It led me to be an adulterer. It led me to this place. And he's saying, restore the joy of, my of your salvation. He's saying, remind me, God, about what you did. Because if I can keep that in my mind, if I can keep that in my memory, the sacrifice and what you've done for me, then, then I can do whatever I need to do. I can move forward. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And I'm telling you today, many of us lose our joy when we forget about what Christ did for us. When we forget the sacrifice he made for us, it's easy to lose our joy. When we can remember back to that time that we were forgiven, that he washed us clean, that he made us whole, that, that our sins are no longer held against us, we've got reason to be joyful about our past. We've got reason to celebrate. So we remember what Christ did for us. The second part of that verse is talking about our present. 
We have access into grace in which we stand. Through him, we've obtained access by faith, right? I'm grateful for that. Today, we can stand firm because of the grace of God in our lives. Romans 12, 12 says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And this was a directive that Paul was giving the Roman church. Hey, this is how we live our lives. This is what every day should look like. We rejoice in hope, we're patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. The New Living Translation says, Rejoice in our confident hope. I love that. Or the question then is, what are we, what are we hoping for or hoping in? Um, and this is a question that will dictate your level of joy in your life. What are you hoping in? Because if we're hoping in anything other than Christ, our joy will be limited in this world. Uh, if we're hoping in our job, I got bad news for you, jobs will come and go. You won't work in this job forever. It's not like it used to be where you got a job in the coal mine and you worked for 50 years in the coal mine and you retired. It's not like that anymore. So we have to understand jobs are temporary. Finances are temporary. If you put your hope in your finances, markets can crash. There's only so much cash you can stuff under your mattress, right? So at the end of the day, if we put our hope in our finances, we're going to be disappointed. In Romans 15, 13, it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What he's saying is, um, joy and hope are interlinked. They're related intimately. That, that I believe that you can't have one without the other. That when we have hope in our lives, when we live in our, a life of hope, it allows us to have joy in the future. But when we live a life of hopelessness, when our present feels dead, when we're just going through the motions, and the future feels hopeless, there will be no joy. But what Paul says to the Roman church is, the God of hope, he wants to fill with all joy and peace. So he's praying that the believers would be filled with joy and peace so that we may abound in hope. And that joy and peace come from the hope of knowing who God is. And that brings us to the third part, the future. And the last part of that first scripture we read was rejoice in hope, or the hope of the glory of God. So what are we hoping in? We're hoping in what God's going to do someday, what he's gonna, how he's going to work in our life, what he wants to complete, what he wants to finish. In Job chapter 8, um, Job's friend, so Job had lost everything. He lost his children, his finances. Uh, his wife had even said, curse God and die. What she was basically saying is, you need to take your own life. Encouraging wife. Um, and so he's in this moment, his friends come to counsel him, to, to help him. And their perspective was wrong, but his words were right. So his heart was wrong here, but the words he spoke are true. In Job chapter 8, his friend is comforting him, and he's talking about God, and he says, He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. And this is what we have to understand. In spite of our circumstance, in spite of what we're going through in our present, the hope we find is that God is a good God. And that what we're going through right now isn't what life will look like forever. That, that God will fill our mouth with laughter. And your lips were shouting. 
something about being so happy, you have to shout, right? Um, I'm not the person that says that has to happen in church because it happens in football stadiums, but man, there's something about going to a football game and hearing people shout and scream at the top of their lungs because they're so excited. Did, did you feel kind of good for those poor Cleveland Brown fans the other day that finally got a win? Well, good for them. They got a little win against the Jets. Good for them, right? And they were so excited. They were screaming and they were shouting. Why? Because they had this feeling that anything was possible at that point. And when we as believers can approach our life in such a way where we go, this might be what my circumstance is today, but I believe anything is possible with God. It gives us reason to be joyful. It gives us reason to shout. It gives us reason to laugh. Because joy is birthed out of hope. See, this is the hope we ultimately have. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says that God is reconciling all things back to himself. And what he's saying is that... Um, the version of earth, of life we see today is the broken down version, okay? So imagine the things you love about this world. Bacon, right? <laughs> Your baby girl the first time you saw her. Your wife on your wedding day. My wife's not even here. I'm not going to get your credit for this today, crying. Standing on the, the rim of the Grand Canyon at sunrise. Being out at sea in the ocean on a cruise, and you see just endless blue. Think about the most beautiful things you've ever seen in your life. Now understand, that is the broken version of God's best. Even as good as this life is, it still falls short of what God intended this world to be. Because when sin entered into this world, it fractured and broke what God intended. And so what God is actively doing is reconciling all things back to himself. What he's doing is righting the wrongs. And ultimately what he's going to do someday is he will bring a, a new heaven to new earth. There's going to be a new Jerusalem that all things will be made new. That he will restore creation back to what it should have been in the first place. We have reason to hope in that today, that there will be no more cancer, there will be no more divorce, there will get, all things will be made right before God. We have reason to hope. There's one more passage I want to read to you today. I was going to read one verse to you, and this last week as I was reading through this, I, I just... I just felt like I needed to share the whole thing with you. This is Psalm chapter 126. This is what it says. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now the writer of Psalm was writing this. And he was writing about the past. And he was saying, hey, hey, Israel, you remember? You remember when we were in a bad place and we cried out and God restored our fortunes and we lifted up a shout of praise and a shout of joy? You remember how good God was when he rescued us? When he arrived on the scene and saved the day? You remember what God did? You remember that? 
And he's stirring something up in the people to go, oh yeah, that's right. Our circumstances are bad today, but you know what? God, God rescued us from bad circumstances before. Now, I love, there's just some literary devices in this psalm. Uh, verse 4 says, he brings it to modern day. And he says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. There's a couple things here. The first thing is we see these two words. They're kind of like these two phrases are anchored in verses 1 and 4, restored the fortunes. He's talking about in the past, God did it. And now he's bringing it to present. He's saying, now God, do it again. He's reminding himself and he's reminding the people that God did it once. And then he's reminding God, God, do it again. There's something else we see here. Uh, we see three different times in verses 2, 5, and 6, the, the phrase shouts of joy. There's something about, something about us worshiping God vocally whether it's singing a song or shouting for joy or praising him with our voice, there's something about it that brings liberation, that brings freedom. When we respond to what God is doing or what we believe God will do, it's powerful. What we see here, verse 4, 5, and 6, he says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. In the Negev. But he says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And then he restates the same idea differently. He says, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And what he's saying is, God, you know what? Um, our circumstance is tough today. It's difficult to have joy because of what we're walking through today. And if we're going to be honest, there's probably people in this room or people that are watching online right now that feel that way. You feel like it's tough to have joy because of the circumstance I'm in. Because I'm walking through a difficult season. And I don't know if it's going to get any better. But this is what I want you to do today. I want you to remember what God has done for you in the past. I want you to take a second and go, well, wait a second. You know what, God? You restored my fortunes in the past. There was a time before that I thought was hopeless, but you showed up on the scene and made things right. So, so God, I'm, I'm reminding myself, but I'm reminding you of what you did before. And then it says, those who sow seeds with tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. And what this verse is saying, what this is talking about, is continuing to be faithful to what God's called us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. So what we do is we are literally carrying our seed to the field to plant while we are weeping over it. The, the seed that we are planting in the ground is being watered by our own tears. And this is the thing about seed. You don't see an immediate response, do you? You plant that seed in the soil with tears watering it, and you walk away. And then the results come. And it says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who are going to go out weeping, bearing the, fruit, uh, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing with him sheaves. So what it's saying is you are going to sow seed in the ground with tears, but you're going to reap a harvest with joy if we put our hope in God. 
I love it because he says you're going to reap a harvest, but then the next part, that last verse says, we're going to bring the sheaves in with shouts of joy. And what it's talking about is uh, we're bringing bundles of the harvest in with shouts of joy. And I'm telling you today, some of you need to hear this today. Some of you are here and you feel like there is no hope for your future. And as a result, you don't have any joy. There's reason to be hopeful because number one, our God has done it before and our God can do it again. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're up against, but I'm telling you today, if you will be faithful to continue to sow seed, even through your tears, those, those tears are going to water that seed. It's going to bear fruit and the fruit that it bears is going to be shouts of joy. You're going to bring that harvest in and you're going to say, God, thank you so much. I can't believe that I wondered if you knew where I was. I can't believe that I doubted your goodness. We have reason to be joyful. (laughs) But you have to choose it. See, maybe your past has given you pain. Maybe today you feel a little bit cynical because of your past. And the the future doesn't feel hopeful at all because your future is filled with fear. But I'm telling you today, we have reason to be joyful because our God is good. And we can put our hope in him. There's nothing more fun than trusting God and seeing him show up and work. That's fun. I'm not talking about this artificial thing where we just make stuff up. I'm telling you, there's nothing more fun than trusting God with your life and seeing him work in your life. That is the best because that cannot be robbed from you. The joy we find in our work, the joy we find in different things, all that stuff can disappear. But at the end of the day, when we put our hope in God, No one can take that from us. So my challenge to you today is choose to see the best. Choose to trust God in spite of what you see. Choose to be faithful, to plant seeds in the ground and water them with your tears and see what God will do. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And we're grateful that you love us. And God, I pray today for those that are here that maybe have questioned your love, maybe they're doubting your love. God, remind them of your unbelievable, unmeasurable love for us and for them. Lord, remind them of what you've done in their past and that you can do it again in their future. God, for those that are here that don't know you, they're not in relationship with you, God, I pray that today would be the day their eyes would be open to the kindness that you showed us, that you show us daily, the goodness of God in our lives. God, I pray that you reveal the love that you have for us and I pray that that would draw them. So God, I pray for every person that's listening to this, every person that's watching online or listening. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them. Now with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. I just want to ask you if today you say, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving God. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you grew up in a religious church or a religious home, but the truth is you've never surrendered your life to Christ. So you don't really know the hope that we're talking about today. You don't know the joy that we're talking about today, but today you say, I want to know that. I want to experience that. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to put my faith and my trust and my hope in him. If that's you, I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm just going to pray with you right where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? Then you can put it right back down and I'll pray with you. We'll pray together. So if you're here and you say, that's me, thank you, sir. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel? Today's my day. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to know that joy and that hope that you're talking about. (laughs) 
Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? All right. I want every person in the room to repeat this prayer with me. Say this out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Use it however you want. Help me live a life that brings you glory. And help me live a life full of hope and full of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today, can we? Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I just want you to know how proud I am of you, how excited I am for you. I cannot wait to see what God's going to do in your life. And we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So the simplest thing you can do is to take the card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. Fill out the side of the card that says salvation and simply drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. There's two in the back of the room by the main doors, one in the balcony, and one just outside these east doors on my left and your right. Feel free to slip it in that box on the way out the door. And in the next couple days, one of our team is going to reach out to you, help you connect with relationships and resources. They're going to help you grow in your faith. If you're watching online or you're here in the room and you can't reach one of the cards, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're going to respond back to you and do the same thing, help you get connected with opportunities and relationships to get you to grow in your faith. Um, This is what's going to happen right now. The worship team is going to lead us in one more song. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship God together. And and the prayer team is going to come up while we're singing on either side of this stage. And they'll be available for prayer. If you need prayer for any reason at all before you leave, make sure you find them. Let them agree with you. And then in just a moment, Pastor Dick Motzing, our associate pastor, he's going to come up and he's going to close this out and dismiss us. Before I let you go, though, I want to remind you about one thing. One of the things we saw in this last passage we saw was three different times it talked about shouts of joy. And what I believe today is God is working. Maybe you've planted a seed with, you've sown a seed that was watered with your tears and you're waiting 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 for that harvest to come. I'm telling you, just because you don't see it happening doesn't mean it's not happening underneath the surface. So we believe and we trust and we continue to put our hope in God. And in the meantime, we worship and we give shouts of joy even when we don't see the response that we expect quite yet. And so what I want us to do as we worship in this last song is I want us to go after God. I want us to worship God as if he has already answered our prayers, as if the harvest has already come, because I'm telling you, it is on its way. So as we worship together, let's worship God that way. Stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go, guys. I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great day.